Welcome to the Bourbon Library, hosted by the Bayless Brothers. A spirited conversation always served neat as barrel proof of our family bond. Grab a glass. The episode starts now. Dad? Son? <laughs> How, you doing? How you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I just called to say I love you. Okay. <laughs> you can say it back if you want. I love, huh? uh, you only get that one how do you feel? Right? How do you feel about me? Oh, I'm a little, uh, you know, middle of the road. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? That's it. No, that's it. It's over. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Hello, friends. So I'm doing something kind of unique today for this recording. I'm outside. (laughs) I'm outside in Mendocino County in Northern California. There are birds talking to one another, frogs talking to one another. Maybe you'll hear them, maybe you won't. But I'm pretty much in the middle of nowhere, and we're turning from day to night over here. It's beautiful. And uh, in the solitude, I guess, I was thinking about my family how much they mean to me, how much I love doing this with them. And it's just been really nice to have their voices to listen to uh, as I'm kind of far away right now and to just feel like I'm in the room with them. That's what this has been about from the beginning, trying to be in the room with one another even when we couldn't. So sometimes I write little notes in my phone, as I know a lot of us do. And I wanted to share a thought I had with you. And forgive me if I'm repeating myself here, as sometimes I do. But I wrote, Urban makes you want to look back, but you often forget what you saw. I feel like that simple line captures so much about why we do this. Why does a father, his three sons, his best friend, and his son's best friend, Kyle, record their whiskey drinking sessions pretty much every week? Well, it's because we want to look back and we want to remember. This is how we connect, not only with one another, but with our broader selves. As Andy so eloquently said at the end of the office, I wish we knew it was the good times while it was happening. Well, here we are. These are the good times. We are together as a family with all of our unique perspectives and daily lived experiences communing with one another like the deacons of some sort of magical whiskey church this family foundation is strong enough to withstand our various positions on not only the booze we consume but the social and political hills we're willing to die on it sounds dramatic but that's what this introduction is for that same hill will often be the same one we help each other climb. This is going to be a complicated episode, at least for the first half. Not because of the bourbon we're sipping, but the recent story behind it. So we had a meeting at Diageo to show them some of our work, like see if there's any potential gigs or whatever. It was an okay meeting. It was like early on in our business and like 
a friend of our producer like hooked us up. We went, we did this meeting, we showed some stuff. It was fine. It was whatever. But then every Thursday or whatever, they do happy hour for unlimitedly. Um, and uh, they they have a giant, beautiful bar on like, uh, it's right next, it's actually in the World Trade Building. Um, so you can look out like where the World Trade Center would have been and all that stuff. But it's like a beautiful sunset. You kind of see New Jersey. It's a gorgeous high rise, whatever. It's this gorgeous place. And it's all free. We had like a complete open bar. And so we started with like, we were like, all right, well, fuck it. We're not going to just order basic shit we were getting old fashions in manhattans but ordering them like we'll have it with the 10-year bullet we'll have it with the whatever you know all the like high end stuff so that was like the first time i had bullet 10-year was like for free as a result of uh just being in the diageo thing i was like it's crazy that this building just exists and people at diageo little known fact they the bar and now probably doesn't exist because of covid but you could just go and have a drink at any point of the day that you wanted like the bars is there. If you're working like, oh, I feel like going having an old fashioned, you can go and have an old fashioned. Oh, you mean it's an open bar for the people who work there? Yeah. And then the happy hour was for like clients and everything else. And we were like a client or a visitor. Wow. Like if you want to drink at the bar at any point and you work at Diageo, you just go get a drink at the bar. Yeah. Yes. Our first impression of the culture at Diageo was impressive. However, there's another story I want to talk about. At one time, while whisking away between whiskey festivals and annual conventions, sipping with patrons and pushing her family's namesake whiskey into the mass marketplace, one handshake and a photo at a time, Hollis Bullet was crowned the First Lady of Bourbon. Now, of course, that title is tongue-in-cheek, and there are lots of important women working today in the industry. But in the first two decades of this millennium, they were not as consumer-facing. In many ways, Hollis was the first female bourbon influencer, being of a generation that is aware of the importance of something like hashtag bullet. In 2017, the Washington Post published an article that said for Hollis, everything had changed. She, in her own way, through a series of Facebook posts, had indicated she'd become a pariah in her own family and the brand that she helped build. Do to her sexuality. Hollis was a lady in love and ready to share her life and family and holidays with her partner. She was quoted as saying she had brought her partner to Thanksgiving and was then uninvited to family Christmas via text, no less. And soon after, fired from the brand that carried her last name. The blood, sweat, and tears of professing the bullet gospel was now no use to her. She'd have to build something from the ground up. But first, she'd need to fight back what she considered a homophobic family business and corporate culture, which Diageo, the parent company of Bullet, denies. I encourage you to read more into this with the August 2017 Washington Post article and at Hollis's actual website, hollisbeofficial.com. It's important to note on issues like this, we don't pretend to be the experts, nor profess to be sharing the complete legal facts. This is an opinion show, and that's what we've shared up to this point, our opinions, and that's what we will continue to do. And that's where I think we should start off our tasting today. First of all, 
I used to have bullet all the time and, and make um, Manhattans with it until I yep. tried their rye and that. So I've tried this long time ago and I haven't had it in the library. So I got a little bottle because I'm not sure that I want it to put it back in the library. But what I did find is the Blenders Select. What's which that? Is, which is only available in New York, uh, Indiana, Kentucky. Hmm. And basically what it is, it's a, a blend of, okay, so this is what I think. In the style of Four Roses, they have five mash, uh, uh, five mash bills, high high rye mash bills. I'm sorry, two mash bills with five yeast, much like Four Roses, right? So I think this yep. was originally sourced bullet with Four Roses Diageo before they started doing it. So this is nine year juice, three different. I bet it's still the remnant of the Four Roses. It's what I'm thinking. Either oh, no. or, why don't you why don't you pour it and try it and see if you like it? It's a little it's a little too cinnamony for me. Yeah, I it agree. Yeah, it, it's not bad though. It's not. It doesn't taste like low quality or young or anything. <sighs> like that. Not. I've never been a big fan of the the Johnny Drum style. Right. Yeah, mash, that's good. Mash, the Johnny Drum style mash bills are not my favorite it's the high rye thing that makes it spicy right well i've had rye where it's like spicy is okay i don't like the cinnamon spice yeah i agree devin and you're right you you pulled that out right it says it's uh 28 rye kyle you said you like this all right yeah so i have two <clears throat> two store pick frontier whiskeys so they're they're the normal normal mash bill nothing crazy about them they're just single barrel store picks um i will we'll try we'll try one here in a minute but the one i have from party world which is a store in grand rapids uh no sponsors um but it, it's it's a lot he's in more smooth but it's a, it, it's less hot than the regular frontier whiskey so you get you get more of those flavors from it. And Devin's right. It is a little more cinnamony, I think, even than the regular bullet. Um, but to me, I get some caramel notes out of it, and I get more of that that caramely nutty that we all talk about liking um, from this compared to what I get out of regular old Frontier whiskey. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely spicy. I never considered it to be a spicy bourbon, but I, hadn't, I don't choose it that often. Uh, it definitely feels like I feel like I'm having like a cinnamon candle right now. Yeah, and you know what? I I think that's why I enjoyed making cocktails with it. Sure, Adelaide oh. does a good balance. Yeah, yeah. Now here's the thing with Bullet. First of all, I, I don't know if it's is it made. It's owned by Diageo. Is it made at Stitzel Weller? No. Or they yes. just have like a little Stitzel Weller kind of like connection somehow. No. Because Bullet was like branded all over the place when we went to visit. So not, they, when we went to Stitzel Weller to visit, they yeah. were not actively distilling bourbon. Right. They were getting they were getting ready to. So right. they were they were storing whiskey. Yeah. But they were not distilling on site. Got it. So Bullet Tenure for sure is not done at Stitzel Weller. Got it. Well, and Bullet has their own distillery. It's in Shelbyville. Shelbyville is, in Shelby County. 
Well, this, this here, again, your bottle says it's made by the Bullet Distilling Company in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Oh. So what's the connection with Stitzel Weller? Is that owned by Diageo and they were just like showing off one of their brands? Yes. I see, I see. I love how there's always a little bit of a mystery with all these. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. Where did you source it from? Now, here's something, and we don't, you know, we're going to get into there's it. A it. So, Bullet, I actively don't buy. And now, there's a lot of bad things about a lot of bourbon companies. We know the facts there, like, historically speaking. Uh, a lot of good things, too. But uh, Bullet, the daughter of the family, was going to take over. And then she came out as a lesbian and got married, and so they kicked her out of the family or kicked her out of the company. And allegedly. So, allegedly, is that allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. So well, allegedly, allegedly uh, got kicked out, or allegedly. No, allegedly. Now she was. She, said she got kicked out. She probably got kicked out, but the family says she didn't get kicked out. Yeah. Right. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. But she's not. She's not. She was supposed to be the reigning queen of of bourbon, and is not. But just uh, from a marketing standpoint, right? I don't think she's like a bourbon connoisseur or anything. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. She could just be like, hey, I'm from the Bullet family. I sign off on this other thing. But uh, that's kind of fucked up. A modern day. Like, I, so as in my mind, I don't buy Bullet because I'm like, oh, they're kind of anti-gay. But I don't know. I don't know. They're owned by Diageo, so it's like. And literally, that just happened in 2017. It wasn't like it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Kind of push around. Changed a lot in four years. Yeah. And so it's interesting because Diageo is a major corporation. So I don't think Diageo has anything to do with this. It's just the Bullet family. So it's like sort of like Diageo is like, oh, I guess I'd buy Bullet because they're owned by Diageo. And they're just like blanket cover of corporate world doesn't make it feel that controversial. But would you would you ever consider not drinking a specific bourbon because of their history or would you would you well then you can't you can't drink bourbon i know right 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 if then you're supporting slavery drink it slavery right yeah yeah no yeah. there's a lot of new bourbon companies not like that yeah, yeah there is but not a good ones about peerless okay fair you got me okay you caught me devin <laughs> wow just Dev. throwing it out there Dev, way to go buddy <laughs> one shot, well, one. Shut one. Shut that was a three-pointer. That was a three-pointer, man. Bless you, Devin. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you know, when we sip, we don't tend to go down too many of these socio-political rabbit holes with hot-button topics. Even though, as a group, we share the sentiment that love is love, absolutely. It's still the prerogative of this program to be about. Well, the bourbon. But in this specific case, I wanted to, at the very least, provide some context for what we were drinking and why it was important to understand the story behind the brand first. To make it more than marketing, but to really understand its meaning, its impact. Global brands affect people's daily lives. And the more we can decipher about their origin stories, the deeper we can investigate the reasons behind the decisions they make as both tastemakers and marketplace machines. I'll be honest, my own feelings regarding Bullet have been conflicted. I enjoy it on a, well, superficial level. You know, the taste, for the most part. And I admit, it's a useful, if not great, cocktail juice. 
But the story of Hollis Bullet haunts the brand. And frankly, it haunts me as well. In a way that makes me deeply question any patronage towards the company. Should I support a brand, even with its corporate outreach initiatives towards the LGBTQ community, which I think are in a good place, but I know that they caused even one person to question their existence. It's caused one heart to break in the name of a bigoted belief system. And I'm not really okay with that. I don't know. I wanna make sure that those in my family and extended friend group who are a part of the broader community know that our whiskey church, as magical as it is, is totally inclusive. If you are lesbian, gay, bi, trans, or simply identify as queer or something I haven't listed, you have a seat at our bar forever. So this really comes down to the age old question. Can you separate the artist from the art? But in this case, can you separate the sins of a large corporate brand from the hardworking bourbon makers? Can you enjoy the taste of the bourbon without its family brand story leaving a bad taste in your mouth? And going deeper, as we have in the past episodes, when we look back and we don't necessarily like what we see, do we remember and move on? Or do we try and forget and enjoy the precious now? the moment, the good sip, and the communion with our crew. It's a damn tough call. I think the short answer is a little bit of all of it, at least for today. There's a whole lot of good bourbon out there. You can make a choice that's right for you. Well, that's it for this one, folks. This is the Bourbon Library, and I'm Ryan Bayless coming to you from Bigfoot Country, reminding you that love is love, and to drink is to live. Be good to one another. See you soon. for listening to our show. If you like what you heard, kindly take the time to rate and review our show wherever you're listening. It will help us grow and make more episodes. Remember to follow us on Spotify and tell your friends about the Bourbon Library. Do you have a bourbon you think we should try? Let us know and we might just feature it on a future episode. And we'll be sure to give you a shout out. If you're listening from Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts, turn on those notifications so you know when we drop a new episode. All right, bourbon lovers. Until next time. To drink is to live.